We're talking about God's plan for the family. And as I was mentioning last week, you know, the last two years, we were really dealing with some very specific things. Um, and I wanted to kind of get back to the basics this year. And so we're just simply looking at the foundation where Jesus Christ is our foundation. And if, if we are expecting saviors in the form of a husband or a wife or in our children or our parents, we'll get disappointed. But if our hope and our contentment is in Christ, I believe we will have and have the potential to have beautiful families that will be well-pleasing to our God. And so we're looking at the husband-wife relationship this morning. And when, when, when going into marriage, it just seems easy enough. And I, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing the difficulty of marriage. <laughs> After 22 years, I realize, and I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but it's, it gets difficult <laughs> at times. We all, if we have any sense of individuality, any sense of pride and ego that can get in the way, it can get difficult. But it's easy as you're entering into marriage going, well, listen, I love my spouse. We're going to get through the hard times because we are committed to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get through it. And it's easy enough from that standpoint to say, I'm entering into this relationship because of the love that I have for him or for her. Well, ask any family as you look at marriage itself, it's easy enough to fall in love. But I've heard, including Christians, say these words. Well, we've fallen out of love. There's something to be said for it. And I've actually heard someone say, you know, I love my spouse. I'm not in love with my spouse. And that happens. I mean, there is a truth to that. Because I've seen it. I've heard it. People will reflect upon, well, it's not about being in love. And we are living in a renaissance-type romantic era in world modern history, actually, where we have this romantic view of love. And so being in love is essential for marriage in the minds of, well, a lot of Western society. But many will say, well, I'm not really in love, but I do love my spouse. And therein lies the mixed message that we might have because of the modern view that we have with regard to marriage. But I'll say this. For those that enter into a marriage falling in love, and it's from a romantic standpoint, it can happen that you, quote unquote, fall out of love just as easily, just as quickly as you've fallen in. And there are a number of marriages that have attested to such. I'll say this with complete bias. I love my wife more now than when we first got married. And the bias is because I have seen the joy that Julie has brought to me, to our family. And I'm more in love with her now than before. And the love that I have now that is in love with her is a lot more beautiful. Because the Mitch Davis of 22 years ago, while loving the Lord, would have, I think, a less mature view of marriage than I have one. And so I'm grateful and not 
do not want to take for granted. But I say that because oftentimes we hear this phrase, in love, in love, or falling out of love, and so on and so forth. And that's easy to do, to fall in love. What's not easy is to have the biblical view of love in a marriage. That does take a whole lot more work. It is said often that many times the, the, the bride-to-be will prepare so many hours going into a wedding, but not much into the marriage. And the same can be said for the male, not that he prepares for the wedding himself, but for the, the marriage, not much in that way of preparation. And yet, there is a great grooming process, if I can use that phrase uh, without pun, in that there is preparation for marriage that should take place in any family that loves the Lord in training up their children in the way they should go. Because marriage is very stereotypical what happens in the lives of children when they leave the home. It doesn't have to happen, but it often does. And so when we're talking about a biblical marriage of love, that's essential for any kind of marriage that will be well-pleasing to God. It is so essential that it is this very picture that the Apostle Paul is using in Ephesians chapter 5 because he is talking about the relationship of brethren in the body of Christ. And he takes very careful illustration of marriage to show what his church is supposed to look like. And so he uses the husband-wife relationship. And it is this very perfect love. In fact, to this morning in our Bible class in the auditorium was our last class on the subject matter of love that we've gone over the last 12 weeks or 11 weeks, I should say. And we're talking about perfect love. That's hard in a marriage because, well, frankly, as Richard or someone else had put it, we live in the flesh, although we have the Spirit of God. And they are at war with one another. And thus, the Apostle Paul says to the churches in Galatia, that they are at war against each other. And he says, but don't, don't walk according to the works of the flesh, but according to the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. And so this is what we're looking at, this kind of love, the kind of love that in my mind, as I read Scripture, where everything is possible with God, you can get through any problem, no matter how difficult, because you have a Christ-like love. And that's the picture of Ephesians 5. The picture of a man and a woman in the role of headship and in the role of subjection is reflecting Christ. Now, in Ephesians, he uses um, the passage with regard to um, Christ being in the head of the church. But other passages in the scripture show him as being a servant and subjecting himself to the headship of his father. And we're going to look at these things in just a little bit. But Ephesians chapter 5 summarizes everything. After he says in verse 32, I speak of this great mystery. You know, in this husband-wife relationship, I'm really talking about Christ and his church. But he says, nevertheless, this truth still stands. Each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Remember last year, I'm not sure if you remember, last year, maybe two years ago, was that love and respect. That men, you know, somehow the, the base or primal need is, is respect. That's what makes him feel um, capable of being head in a family. 
and yet the wife, she needs that love. Well, both need respect and both need love, but as far as what is being said, he needs that respect and she needs that love. You know, we have two different kinds of people we're talking about. We've got the blue people, boys, and we've got the pink people, the girls. And, and we think differently, we act differently, and so our needs are somewhat, stereotypically speaking, different. And the summation is found here in verse 33 of this passage. Well, with that said, if we're going to follow the biblical teaching, we are told very explicitly in verses 25 to 30 how husbands need to learn to lead like Jesus Christ. The great difficulty I see, because I see it in myself, and I see it with many men, is this struggle to find that balance of how to be a good leader like Jesus. You know, how do I lead without being a tyrant? How do I lead when I don't have much in the way of of God-given talents as far as leadership skills? I may be the one talent leader quality type, if you will. I'm more of a follower, if you will. And I'm told to be head of my family by Jesus. It's very difficult um, without sounding (laughs) uh, silly about this. Women, try leading (laughs) your family. It's hard. But there are many women that have great qualities of leadership. I don't want to jump the gun too much, but there is families in which the, the wife may have great leadership qualities and the husband does not. And yet... Paul says, husbands, love your wives, but wives, he's head. That's hard to swallow in this modern era. I was telling my my wife and my daughters last week how it does not matter that I know it's not male chauvinistic to, to read Ephesians 5, but in light of modern society, I mentioned how it the sense is still feel it feels that way. When I share with people in the world. But this is the teaching of Jesus Christ. And so this kind of leadership must be met. Regardless of the amount of talents that we have. That we fulfill this. And there's a reason for that. The picture of headship goes from the very beginning. And it's not because woman is inferior to man. Man is not superior to woman. But God used Moses to illustrate the very first marriage and shows the first sin when Satan tempts Eve and she succumbs to the temptation she gives to her husband. And then we see God cursing both Adam and Eve and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 following. And what you have is one of the curses to the the wife is your desire is for your husband, but he will or must rule over you. And Jesus goes back to the beginning and quotes this first sin, if you will. And thus we have this reiteration of this relationship in the husband-wife relationship. And so we have headship. That's taught. But what kind of headship is it? What is the balance And I'm here to tell you, based upon all the rest of the scriptures, the balance is that you sacrifice your life for the betterment of your family. 
It is a life of love. The decisions you make is for the well-being of your spouse, your wife, and of your children. What that looks like, practically speaking, can be very difficult to translate. But the goal, the desire of every husband is to think, how does this help my family? And it may even cause me to sacrifice of my time, my energy. And when I'm selfish, when I'm greedy, when I've got pride issues, that's difficult to do. But that's the role that we have. And many men who belong to Jesus Christ have not yet learned this because it's all about me. And Christ was never all about himself. It was all about the glory of the Father. How do I serve him in every capacity? And a lot of the downfall of marriages can take place when there is no foundation for the man to live as a headship that looks like Jesus Christ. So this is a very important point that many don't either aspire to or simply neglect. Just, you know, I just don't want to do this. It's just not me. Maybe for other men, but not me. I need for every one of you, if you love the Lord, to accept what Scripture teaches and says, okay, I'm going to take on this headship. The problem is, we're not going to do it perfectly. And our wives need to know that. And sometimes, wives, you may know it, but being tender about it is very helpful to your husbands. Especially if they don't have those talents, if you will, of being good leaders. And they're having to grow in the form of leadership or headship, if you will. Well, if we move on, wives also need to learn. And when I talk about learning, I'm not talking about academic knowledge. I'm simply talking about, from a practical standpoint, learning. The way Jesus was learning to be obedient to the Father. It's a lifestyle of, of the way you're living. And, and wives need to learn to submit to the headship position or role that the husband has the way the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, submit to the role of Jesus Christ being our head. That's a voluntary thing, mind you. Voluntary from a standpoint that when we become Christians, we voluntarily say, I'm giving up my role of here's what I want to do and saying no longer it is I who live in me but Christ so that while I live in the flesh I'm not going to walk according to the flesh I'm going to walk according to the spirit of God who is now in me and I'm going to submit myself to the headship of my savior who also is my king that's the husband wife picture that is given here and this voluntary submission and I say voluntary um, because in our culture we're not forced into marriage we don't have, you don't have your parents, you don't have your parents choosing your spouses. I, personally, I just wish that was the case. I don't know why. <laughs> Say, girls, I want, I want these. <laughs> but, but we don't live in that culture. That does exist in many cultures. And it's a very important role. And in fact, many successful, successful marriages have taken place that way. Many that don't work out either. But the same, same thing is true, but we live in a country where our children choose their spouses, if you will, 
And because of that, there is a voluntary submission to the role as Christians who love Jesus and want to do his will to the role of a wife in that relationship. And it's subjecting yourself to the headship. What that looks like is not a slave. It doesn't look like a slave-master relationship. It looks like a help-meet relationship. And that's the reason why God gave woman to man as a help-meet, not as a doormat. Big difference. When you get into these things, though, it's very difficult because many women have their own minds, very intelligent, and they want what's best for their family just as the husband wants what's best for the family. And it can be difficult to subject yourself to a man that you think, you know what, I don't like his decision. I don't think it's the best decision. And so again, these are difficult things. What it looks like practically, I mean, we don't have time to get into all the individual type of scenarios, but you are going through them in your own marriages. And so you know what I'm talking about for those that are married or have been married for a while. The point being is that just as it is difficult for men, imagine men how difficult it is for our wives to read a passage like this and, and are trying to subject themselves to us and may not be doing it perfectly because they may have pride issues. They may have ideas that they believe are better than your idea on the decisions being made for the family. And while the man is going to say, okay, let's sit down, let's discuss, and I want to get your input because you have great suggestions or however those dialogues take place you come up with your decision she may not always agree to them and she may not come across in the way you want her to come across in subjecting to the headship of your decision making it is for these reasons brethren I believe this is what marriage teaches us because you have imperfect husbands and you have imperfect wives trying in fulfilling what Ephesians 5 reveals to us a marriage relationship and I believe that's where grace and mercy and forgiveness has got to take place if you're going to have a marriage that will grow and flourish it is for this reason I see that Christ church relationship where there is grace there is mercy there is forgiveness that allows for us to flourish in the Lord and in the same fashion, what allows for marriage to flourish. That's the foundation. I mean, think about it. Anyone here willing to boldly say, hey, I'm the perfect husband? <laughs> Didn't think so. How about you wives? Anyone here willing to say, hey, listen, I am it. I am God's gift to my husband. Didn't think so either. And as much as we can be tainted about how special and how beautiful, how perfect our wife or our husband may be we know practically speaking if it happens I've never met anyone that says I'm the perfect husband or perfect spouse unless they're joking never met one and it's for that reason that you're going to have the potential for friction and some some husbands and wives get through that friction much better than others because they they look more like Jesus in their relationship. But the stereotypical relationship is that many of us, we fail. And sometimes fail miserably. 
That's the reason why we need a savior, brethren. Marriage does not fix all our relationships with everyone. In fact, I believe it heightens our weaknesses. It heightens our flaws, our sins. Because when you're in in marriage, it's 24-7. Here, it's easy for me, it's easy for Julie, it's easy for our children to put our best foot forward before everyone here because you don't live 24-7 with us. But wives, you know, generally speaking, unless your husband is hiding from you greatly, you know his sins. You know his weaknesses. And wives, your husbands know your sins and your weaknesses. And either we can use those weaknesses and use those sins against one another, which is destructive to the marriage, or you can be gracious to your spouse. You can be merciful to your spouse. And ultimately, forgiving. We are told what this is supposed to look like in Scripture. And I'm going to get to Ephesians chapter 4 in just a second. But because spouses fail to perfectly lead as husbands or wives fail to perfectly submit as wives, both need to provide and to receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Well, regarding forgiveness, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to read this passage. We've read Ephesians 5. Let's go back a few verses to Ephesians 4. And I want to read from verse um, 26 through 32. And while the context may, may roam, he gets back to the overall principle regarding forgiveness. And the one thing that, that can be learned, it's difficult to practice, but can be learned over time, is to forgive quickly. That'll be something that, that I'll share in just a second. But forgiving quickly is going to be very important. We are told in verse 25 of Ephesians 4... Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There's the church relationship. And then he says, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And then as as he goes on speaking about various other ways of not grieving the Spirit of God, he then goes to say in verse 31 and 32, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. The whole concept of forgiveness is the gospel message, brethren. The whole fact that I know I'm a sinner and without God I have zero hope and that I have taken on a spouse because I believe that in my case Julie will walk with me in our walk with God to strengthen, help strengthen me as I desire to help strengthen her. The last thing I need to be doing is telling you all about all of her sins and all of her weaknesses. That's not going to help my relationship with Julie. Brethren, when you speak of your spouse, you speak well. Like the Proverbs 31 woman who speaks well of her husband and how he speaks well of her. That's what you do. I mean, you both know each other's flaws. 
and sins. No need to share it with the world. Now, there are going to be times because of, of sin, because of estrangement, there's going to be times where we can confide in one another, but even that is minimized. You don't want the whole world to know. It does not help. What does help is the idea of being forgiving. Can you imagine your spouse has sinned against you and you forgive your spouse? You look like Jesus. Can you imagine when you lead your family, husbands, and you lead with love, you look like Jesus. And can you imagine, wives, like in Philippians chapter 2, when you read verses 5 following, and you submit to the headship of your husband, even when the choice in your mind may not be the best thing. While it's not simple or sinful, may not be the best thing, you know that you look like Jesus who submitted to his father? And some might say, yeah, but Jesus submitted to a perfect, holy God. Yeah, and you're not submitting to that. You're submitting to an imperfect man who is made holy by the blood of Jesus. He needs a Savior just as you do. But you look like Jesus in that you submit to that headship. And that's a beautiful example to the world in darkness that easily gives up on the marriage when it's not working out. You show loyalty and unity, and that in lies the totality of this passage in Ephesians 5. When you read Ephesians 5, the whole concept from master-slave relationship to the husband-wife and then the parent-child relationship is unity. That's what Paul's theme in the Ephesian letter is. And that's what you're seeing here. And that's what forgiveness allows. It allows for unity to be maintained. So brethren, when we're talking about this foundational things, the, the truths are very simple on the role that we have and how we go about doing it. The application is very difficult. And that is why I believe that grace and mercy and forgiveness needs to be at the, the very core of our relationship as husband and wife. It's not going to be any different in a parent-child relationship. We're going to need grace and mercy and forgiveness when it comes to that relationship. I have personally witnessed estranged relationships between parent and child over my 45 years. It's never good. Too many destroyed relationships take place. But next week, that's what we're going to be looking at. We'll look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We'll look at other passages. But I want you to, to think about not only the husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship, but how it's supposed to look like as far as us as a family of believers. Because that's exactly what Jesus used to illustrate his body as being one. And so, for those of you who are contemplating marriage, think about your your role that God has ordained. Think about the counseling that you can receive by those who have been married for many years and are successfully married and also the counsel you get from those who have not had it successfully but have gone through various failures whether they're still married together or not and the lessons that can be learned through them. What a blessing that we have in Jesus Christ that we can learn from sin and from righteousness. Not that we learn sin to, to practice it, but so that we can be smart, wise, if you will, and not go down that same path. 
So I pray that these lessons are, are helpful to you. Very simple, foundational, but necessary for our walk with the Lord. You know, if you're not a child of God, this husband-wife relationship is a reflection of your ability to come into the kingdom of our Lord. And you come as part of the bride of Christ. And as the bride, you subject yourself to the headship of our Savior. That's what it says in verse 23 of Ephesians 5. He is the Savior of his body in addition to being the head of the church. And you're coming to the Savior and subjecting to his headship. And that is why it is not just simply believing that Jesus is the Christ, but submitting to the headship of our Christ. And if you believe and are willing to be buried with him so that you can walk in newness of, newness of life, you'll come into a beautiful relationship. The fellowship, the marriage that you have with the Lamb of God. You can have that right now. If you want to be a Christian, you want to know what to do, come forward. If you want to return to the Lord, come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll be able to baptize you into Christ this very hour. You can do that right now. It's together we stand and sing.